Section 16 of The Begum's Fortune by Jules Verne. Translated by W. H. G. Kingston. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 16 A Brace of Frenchmen Capture a Town. When tidings of the disappearance of Schultz reached Frankville, Max's first words were, Suppose it should be merely a trick. He reflected, however, that the results of Stahlstadt had been so disastrous as to make such an hypothesis inadmissible. Still, as hatred in an unreasoning passion, the exasperated rage of such a man as Herr Schultz might really render him capable of sacrificing everything to it. Whether or not this was the case, it was undeniably necessary to be on the qui vive. The Council of Defense immediately, therefore, issued a proclamation exhorting the inhabitants to be on their guard against false reports spread by the enemy with the object of lulling them into security. Frankville judged it prudent to continue all the preparations for defense, taking no notice of what might, after all, prove to be a stratagem of its arch-enemy. But by and by, the journals of San Francisco, Chicago, and New York published further details, and news of the financial and commercial consequences of the Stahlstadt catastrophe, forming altogether a mass of evidence to prove that Schultz was a genuine bankrupt, and had indeed disappeared. And so, one fine morning, the doctor's model city became aroused to the fact that it was safe just as a sleeper escapes from the oppression of a horrible dream by the simple operation of awaking. Yes, Frankville was clearly out of danger, without having to strike a blow, and Max, now absolutely certain of it, announced the news amid public rejoicing. A strain seemed suddenly removed. The public drew, as it were, a long sigh of relief and assumed a holiday aspect. Everybody shook hands, offered mutual congratulations, and invited each other to dinner. All the women came out in fresh toilets, and the men took leave of drill, maneuvers, and hard work. Everyone went about looking satisfied and beaming. Frankville was just like a town peopled with convalescents, but among them all, the happiest was unquestionably Dr. Saracen. The worthy man had felt himself responsible for the fate of those who had come with confidence to settle on his territory and to place themselves under his protection. For the last month, the fear of having allured them to destruction when he had only sought their happiness had never left him a moment's rest. Now he was released from terrible anxiety and breathed freely. The common danger had more closely united the citizens. All classes had been brought nearer to each other, and knew themselves brothers, animated with the same feelings and affected by the same interests. A new sensation had sprung up in the hearts of all. Henceforward, the inhabitants had a strong feeling of patriotism for Frankville. They had feared, they had suffered for their town, and now they knew how much they loved it. 
The material results of having placed it in a state of defense were also to the advantage of the city. Their strength was known. They felt more sure of themselves, and would now be ready for whatever the future might bring. The prospects of Dr. Saracen's work had never appeared more brilliant, and a rare thing. No ingratitude was shown towards Max. Although the safety of the population had not been his work, public thanks were voted to the young engineer as to the organizer of the defense, the man to whose devotion the town would have owed its safety had the plans of Herr Schultz succeeded. Max, however, did not regard his part as finished. The mystery surrounding Stahlstadt might still, he thought, conceal danger. He could not rest satisfied until he had thrown complete light into the very midst of the darkness which still enveloped the city of steel. He resolved, therefore, to return to Stahlstadt and to stop at nothing until he had probed the last secret to its depths. Dr. Saracen represented to him that the enterprise would be difficult, that it would bristle with dangers, that he knew not what mines might spring beneath his feet, and that, in fact, it would resemble a descent into the lower regions. Herr Schultz, such as he had been described to him, was not a man to disappear with impunity to others, or to bury himself alone beneath the ruins of all his hopes. They had every reason to fear the last desperate design of such a man. It would be like the terrible dying agony of a shark. My dear doctor, it is just because I think all you imagine possible that I believe it my duty to go to Stahlstadt, answered Max. The place may be compared to a shell from which I must snatch the match before it bursts, and I will even ask your permission to take Otto with me. Otto! exclaimed the doctor. Yes, he is now a fine fellow who may be relied on, and I assure you that this excursion will do him a great deal of good. May God protect you both, returned the old man, fervently grasping his hand. The next morning a carriage drove through the deserted villages and deposited Max and Otto at the gate of Stahlstadt. Both were well-equipped, well-armed, and very determined not to come back until they had cleared up the mystery. They walked side by side along the outer road, which led round the fortifications, and the truth which Max till then had persisted in doubting now lay before them. It was evident that the place was completely deserted. From the lonely road which he now trod with Otto, he could formerly have seen within the town flaring gas or the flash of a sentinel's bayonet and many other signs of life. The windows of the different sections would have been illuminated and dazzling. Now all was gloomy and silent. Death seemed to hover over the city, its tall chimneys standing up like skeletons. The footfalls of Max and his companion alone aroused the echoes of the place. The sensation of solitude and desolation was so strong that Otto could not help remarking, It is singular, but I have never felt silence similar to this. We might suppose ourselves in a cemetery. 
it was seven o'clock when max and otto reached the edge of the moat opposite to the principal gate of stahlstadt not a living creature appeared on the crest of the wall and of the sentinels who formerly had stood at equal distances all round like so many human posts not one remained the drawbridge was raised leaving before the gate a gulf from five to six yards in width it took them more than an hour before they could succeed in fastening the end of a stout rope by throwing it with all their might so as to catch over one of the beams after much trouble max managed it and otto going first drew himself up hand over hand to the top of the gate max passed up to him their arms and ammunition and then he himself took the same way they now carried their rope to the other side of the wall let down all their impediments and finally slid down themselves the two young men were now on the roundway which max remembered having followed the first day he entered stahlstadt complete silence and solitude were all around before them rose black and dumb the imposing mass of buildings which glared with their thousand glass windows at the intruders as if to say be off you have no business to attempt the penetration of our secrets max and otto consulted we will assail the o gate as that is the one with which i am best acquainted said max they bent their steps westward, and soon arrived before the monumental arch which bore on its front the letter O, the two massive oaken doors, full of great iron nails, were closed. Max approached and struck them several times with a large stone taken from the road. The echo alone resounded. "'Come to work!' he cried to Otto. They had now to recommence the troublesome work of throwing their rope over the door until it met with some obstacle on which it would firmly catch. This was difficult, but they succeeded at last, and Max and Otto surmounted the wall and found themselves in section O. "'What a nuisance!' exclaimed Otto, looking round. "'Where is the use of all our trouble? We have made but little progress.' No sooner have we got over one wall than we find another before us. Silence in the ranks, returned Max. Here we are in my old workshop. I am not sorry to see it again, that we may possess ourselves of certain tools which we shall be sure to need, not forgetting a few packets of dynamite. As he spoke, they entered the great casting hall, to which the young Alsatian had been admitted on his arrival at the factory. How dismal it now looked, with its furnaces extinguished, its rails rusted, its dusty cranes extending their gaunt arms in the air like so many gallows. All this struck a chill to the heart, and Max felt that some diversion to their ideas would be pleasant. "'Here is a workshop which will interest you more,' he observed, leading the way to the canteen. Otto followed obediently, and showed unmistakable signs of satisfaction as he caught sight of a whole regiment of red, yellow, and green bottles, drawn up in order of battle on a wooden shelf. 
several boxes of preserved meats and other good things were also there more than enough to furnish them with a substantial breakfast the want of which they began to feel so having spread the food on the counter the two young men fell to whilst eating max considered what was next to be done there was no use in even thinking of scaling the wall of the central block as it was prodigiously high isolated from all the other buildings and without a projection on which to fasten a rope to find the door of which there was probably only one it would be necessary to go through all the sections anything but an easy task dynamite could be used though that was dangerous for it seemed impossible that herr schultz should have disappeared without constructing traps in his deserted territory or establishing countermines to the mines which those who wished to take possession of stahlstadt would not fail to form but no fear of this could deter max seeing that otto was now refreshed and rested max went with him to the end of the road which formed the axis of the section up to the foot of the huge freestone wall what say you to attempting a blast here he asked shall we pierce the wall and lay a train of dynamite it'll be hard work but we are not afraid of that replied otto ready to attempt anything they first had to lay bare the foot of the wall then introduce a lever between two stones loosen one and finally with a drill pierce several little parallel trenches by ten o'clock all was prepared the dynamite in its place and the match lighted max knew that it would burn for five minutes and as he had noticed that the canteen was underground and was a regular stone vaulted cellar he took refuge there with otto suddenly every building and even the cellar were shaken as if by an earthquake then almost immediately a tremendous roar resembling the sound of three or four batteries thundering at once rent the air in two or three seconds a perfect avalanche of stones and debris showered down far and wide then began an uproar of breaking roofs crashing beams falling walls mingled with the sound of a cascade of broken glass when the frightful din had ceased max and otto ventured forth from their retreat accustomed as he was to the terrific effects of an explosion max was perfectly astonished at the results of this one half of the section had been blown up and the dismantled walls of all the neighboring workshops resembled those of a bombarded town on all sides the ground was strewn with heaps of rubbish and pieces of glass and plaster whilst clouds of dust settling down fell like snow on the ruins otto and max hastened to the inner wall from fifteen to twenty feet of it had been thrown down and on the other side of the breach the ex-draftsman of the central block could see the well-known hall where he had passed so many monotonous hours as the place was no longer guarded it was soon entered still the same silence everywhere 
Max passed in review the studios, where formerly his comrades admired his diagrams. In one corner he discovered the very half-sketched drawing of a steam engine on which he had been engaged when Herr Schultz summoned him to the park. In the reading room lay the papers and familiar books. Everything bore the look of business suspended, of a sudden interruption to work. The two friends had now reached the inner limits of the central block and stood before the wall, which Max believed divided them from the park. Are we to make this fellow dance, too? asked Otto. Perhaps, but first we can look for a door, which a simple fusee could send flying. They proceeded, therefore, to skirt the wall around the park from time to time, making a detour to avoid a building jutting out like a spur, or to climb a fence. But they never lost sight of it, and were soon rewarded for their trouble by coming to a low, narrow door. In two minutes, Otto had bored a gimlet hole through the oaken panels, and Max, applying his eye to the opening, perceived with lively satisfaction that on the other side lay the tropical park, with its eternal verdure and summer temperature. "'One more door to blow up, and we shall be in the place,' he exclaimed to his companion." A fusee for a piece of wood like this would be too great an honor, returned Otto, and as he spoke, he struck a heavy blow on the postern with an axe he carried. It had not begun to give way, however, when they heard a key turned, and two bolts slipped back. The door half opened, though held inside by a thick chain. Verda! Who goes there? demanded a hoarse voice. End of section 16